I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Walker Report podcast in association with the Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back. Uh, it's not really a review it's not really a preview, it's a bit of everything. We're just going to wing it, I think, today. We've got plenty to talk about. We'll quickly touch on the Swansea game, the Borough game coming up, and everything else in between. That's probably going to end up going out of date by the time this podcast goes live because the January transfer window is always changing. Joining us today is Chris. Hi, mate. Hello, Gavin. Hello, and hello to the listeners. So, uh, we did record a podcast at the weekend after the Swansea game, but there were some technical difficulties, so apologies this one's late. Uh, we don't really want to touch too much on that game, though, because well, it was shit, wasn't it, Chris? I don't, <laughs> that's the top and bottom of it. We, 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 we sat and analysed at the nth degree at the weekend in the pod that never made it. And um, to be honest, I've kind of forgot about it since then. I've, I've done a good job of putting it to the back of my mind. I don't know if I'm a bit distracted or what at the minute, but it's not one we're going to remember for very long, I don't think. No, no, it's one of them, wasn't it? It was... Um... It was a bit of a shame because I thought we were so good for the first kind of 15, 20 minutes. What minute did he get sent off? I have to remind myself, 18 18th, I think. Yeah. 18 minutes. So, so like for, what, 17 minutes or something, it was. It, it looked so good. And um, and it's it's another frustrating one, though, isn't it? Because I just thought, and I put in the preview as well, uh, for people who read the preview, I thought Swansea were another side just there for the taking. Um, I thought, mm-hmm. and actually the game, the game showed that first 20 minutes, there was only one side going to win that game, um, you know. If that was yeah. kind of on equal footing, there was only one side going to win it, and that was us. Um, we were much the better side. Swansea were were nothing really. They were there for the take, and it was it was a tough one to take actually because um, that should have been three points on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It's it's really difficult, isn't it, when when you try to sit back and analyze a performance, and it's all caveated by that red card. So, like yeah. you know. Every one of them goals we conceded, I was frustrated with the defending, the positioning, some of the decisions that Tony Mowbray made. But, you know, you're trying to judge it on a game where we we, we were pretty much playing with one arm tied behind our backs for most of it. So it's it's a tough one, really. But there is stuff to learn from the from the game, I think. I think in particular, the goals we conceded, regardless of the fact we we did have 10 men, like I said, there were, there were things wrong with them. The the decision at half time to swap round Lyndon Gooch and try Hume was a bit of a disaster, wasn't it? You know, we 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 saw in all three of the goals. I think the first two, Lyndon Gooch was caught miles out of position. Third one, Trey Hume tries to control the ball, facing goal, 
with his right foot because he's on the wrong side of the pitch, which leads to to them scoring and a bunch of other things happened after that. So I'm I'm actually finding it really difficult to sort of pin that on the players because I think it was working so well first half and it didn't work so well in the second half. And you've got to kind of you've got to kind of um, sympathise a little bit with Mowbray, I guess, because he he wasn't planning for that. Nobody planned for the red card, and he was forced to make a decision on the on the flip and. You know, it it didn't pay off. He he took off Roberts, which sort of weakened us down the right hand side. Half time, decided to flip the the fullbacks over. Didn't work. And to be honest, I don't know what he can really take from that going into Middlesbrough because he can't play Luke O'Neill. So we've obviously had to plan without him. But I mean, is the I don't know about you. Is there anything we can really take away from that into this game other than maybe don't play Lyndon Gooch right back? Because I'm <laughs> I'm a I think we saw maybe him and Ahmad struggle together a little bit, but other than that, struggling to really pick too much at it. Well, I think well, just to start with Luke Nine because that was obviously you, you've you've kind of captured that as like the the big turning point of the game, and it was you know obviously you know, as I said before, I think it was three points for us if if on an equal foot and if Luke Nine hadn't done his thing. But starting with Luke Nine in terms of lessons, I mean, I think the weeks leading up to that. He'd purposely played that character on the pitch for us, hadn't he? Where he's kind of winding mm. the opposition up, and he was going in with those hard tackles, which don't and, get to, wrong. and a good effect. To be fair, yeah, no, no. Yeah. I was just about to say, yeah. don't get us wrong. We all love it, and it's fantastic, and all this sort of stuff. But I think he's learned a lesson where that line is, where he needs to be on mm-hmm. there. He needs to, and and it's brilliant. I love the fact that he wants to get right on the edge for games because I think you know that that's that's where Luke O'Neill. Does does his best thing where he's right on the edge and he's kind of he's just torn that line, but I think it's a good lesson for Luke O'Neill that he he's he kind of realised where that line is because yeah, you know we yeah. we watch we watched it back again and again and again, and when that when the the pass was made because it was just a pass into kind of you know the halfway line wasn't anywhere dangerous, but Luke O'Neill had already decided when the pass was already played like five seconds earlier than when he left the ground. That he was going to fly in and smash someone. Yeah, he'd already decided that. So there was he needs to learn that lesson that there's no need for that in in that sort of area. He needs if he's going to wind players off, if he's going to play that character, do it do it so he doesn't put us at a disadvantage. But it's, it's like you said, it's, mm-hmm. it's another lesson he'll learn. And you know, he's fo- if he can put these lessons together, and the character he is, you know, you know, hundred percent he'll learn from it. And and he already put that statement out, didn't he? After he put like a message on, I don't know, was it Instagram or whatever it was? He put it out on yeah. uh, Twitter or whatever it was. He said himself. He said, "Yeah, I hold my hands up. I didn't get it right. I got it wrong." And he'll learn from it, and he'll come back a better player. But um, yeah, it was a rush of blood to the head and a tackle that didn't need to be made in an area of the pitch that didn't really warrant it. To be honest, it was interesting reading the comments on the. So all the videos flying around on Twitter of the tackle from accounts which are probably followed by fans of every club. It was interesting reading fans of other clubs say that <laughs> they're not surprised that yeah. that he you know it was Luke O'Nine. I think a lot of, we don't see it really, but he's probably got away with quite a bit over the years. <laughs> um, and a lot of fans of other clubs have noticed it because he's probably got away with it against them, sort of big tackles or bit of shithousery and we love it like I, yeah. I would never want him to take that out of his game but there's a time and a place isn't there for a, for a tackle like that and that wasn't it yeah. if he makes that sort of 20 minutes later in the game where it's not after a, a massively contentious decision which you know 
the way the game went nearly everything was a contentious decision but if he makes that at a different period of the game he probably gets a yellow card I noticed on the slowing down the footage the referee actually went to his yellow card pocket first and then he gets surrounded by the Swansea players and goes to the red card pocket not saying it wasn't a red to be honest if that had been on one of our players I'd have been shouting for a red card but I've also seen them giving us yellows um, so it is what it is I mean we've moved on from that now we're looking ahead to the next game we, it, it's really unfortunate that we're without Luke O'Neill. I saw I saw um, the Man U fans crying about losing Casemiro for the Arsenal game <laughs> and um, I, I was like I, I'm, I, solidarity we know how it feels because <laughs> we're missing our Casemiro for this one nah, but in all seriousness it's a, it's a game where you really want a player like Luke O'Neill to be available and it is what it is. We've just got to get on with it, you know. Middlesbrough's going to be a tough opponent. And, yeah, it's just a shame. He's probably really kicking himself that he's, you know, he's got a suspension ahead of probably the, the biggest game we've had in a while because it's huge, this. They're, they're going for it with us towards the top end of the table. They're in really good form. And, yeah, you want your players like Luke O'Neill and it's... I mean, we can. Do you think it's a derby? I don't know whether to call it a derby or not. You know what? For me, it's it's in that it's halfway between a normal team and Newcastle. It's in that it's in that gap yeah. that it it's doesn't felt fit. like a big game to me though. Yeah, I, no, I it, I, that's what it, I mean. It, I don't know whether for me, I don't know whether for me, Chris. I don't know any. I don't know any Middlesbrough fans. So, but a lot of Sunderland fans do know Middlesbrough fans. We have a lot of fans, obviously, in like sort of the Durham Durham area, even Teesside, Hartlepool, where there's probably quite a a bit of a blend of the two fan bases. So I suppose it probably depends on where you're from, doesn't it? Whether you class it as a die. But it is a big game, though. Yeah. It's always been a big game in my life. I remember between kind of, you know, when we when Peter Reid came, between that period and right right through the Peter Reid era when, you know, they had Robson and they had, you know, when we're battling with them at the top of the championship and all that sort of stuff, those sort of years when it was, we were kind of going up and down together quite often. But yeah. Um, during those years in the early 2000s I remember some games where you know there was kind of you know there was bother on the bridge when on the Weymouth Bridge oh there was always bother Every, yeah. it was weird do you remember that coming out it was like a war zone I, I never I never <laughs> got that I would love to know the reason and why they used to just let Middlesbrough fans and Sunderland fans mingle after the games because <laughs> there was hell on every yeah. single time and I think it was only maybe 10 years ago when they thought yeah let's separate them now you know but it, and uh, yeah there used to always be hell on which I don't know whether that was more instigated by them or not but you know it's well, a bit yeah, more needle quite often bother at the riverside you know the, the where it is and you had to go over that wasteland and all that sort of stuff back in the day when yeah. it was uh, when it was new but um, but yeah for me it's kind of not close to that feeling of playing Newcastle but it's more than playing everyone else it's in that void in between somewhere it's definitely a bigger game than you know the 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 Burnleys or the Wiggins or and all of that sort of lot. It's always irritated me though that sort of how, our fans have a tendency to trip over themselves to say it's not a derby, <laughs> and it works against us because Middlesbrough take it really seriously. Yeah. They treat it like a derby game, and our record against Middlesbrough is shit. And I I think a lot of it is to do with that. I don't know whether you know, and you know what it's like when we play in Newcastle. There's a different feeling around everything. Sort of the week building up to the game. Like the players have no choice but to understand the meaning of the game because everybody they meet on the street, everybody they see when they're out doing their shopping, the the lead up to the game on social media and everything, and it it's tra- like a big occasion. 
and the Middlesbrough game isn't. It just isn't because it hasn't got that same feeling as a Newcastle game. But Middlesbrough take it very, very seriously. They treat this like it, like it's a big occasion, and it it seems to always count against us. Now I know that this is a little bit different because it's at the Stadium of Light, so it's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be a a big crowd. I think the fans will be up for it, but I just hope that we treat it just as seriously as Borough do. Now the 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 difference maker, I think, could be Tony Mowbray because he's had a foot in both camps. He was a Middlesbrough player for a long time. He's managed there. There's probably nobody better to explain to these players, the lads who don't really know much about Sunderland, the lads from outside the area this week, just how important this game actually could be. And even if we don't think it is a derby, I would like him to treat it like one because the players will take it more seriously. They'll give it that extra 10%. And... I'd just like to think that, you know, regardless of what you think of this game, it is very important because if we win this game, this puts us right back in the mix. We've had a couple of difficult results and, you know, you win this against a team who are in good form, you're looking up again, aren't you? Yeah, and you know what it is? I've I've always had this problem. Um, It it might sound a bit like kind of Roy King talking here, but I've always had this problem about the like derby days and giving it, you know, that extra 10% against Newcastle or, you know, pushing a a bit further against Middlesbrough and all this sort of stuff that, I mean, I think every game, you know, you're looking to, to get the the tackle, the early tackles in, you're looking to get to the ball first, you're looking to win that header. And and that should be a kind of a given. Yeah. What sometimes happens in derbies, which really frustrates us sometimes is that there's too much emphasis on that. And you forget about that. You forget about playing football and it's all about getting yeah. one or getting a dig in or getting an elbow in or you know getting that tough chat challenging, which should be part of every game. But we've got good players. If we get the ball down the deck and remember that's a game of football, we can beat any side. So I don't want us to get bogged down in that side of the game because I think our strengths are getting the ball down, getting it wide. We've got good players to in the final third and doing that part of it. So yes, winning the ball first, getting to it first, giving that extra ten percent, you try and do that every week but um, we shouldn't lose sight of kind of winning the game because I, I think we're as good as anyone in this division yeah we, we can give anybody a game and it was really disappointing that we gave such a poor account of ourselves last time we played Borough yeah. but I, I to be honest at the time and I still do in hindsight hinged a lot of that on the the Ross Stewart yeah. news which came like 20 minutes before kickoff or whatever because again game plan went out the window it totally rocked us. There's, there's no getting away from that. You know, your best player gets injured in the warm-up. That's a big blow to your confidence and everything. And it's a big boost to Middlesbrough's confidence. You know, they they weren't like a million miles better than us, but they were better than us. I think that was one of the occasions in the early months of the season where we turned around and we said, we haven't really been outplayed by anybody, but the Borough game would probably deserve to lose because we were shit. So there's that as well. The players are going to be probably looking to make amends. They'll remember that occasion. Ross Stewart will remember that occasion and feel like it was such a disappointment for him to have to have missed so much football after that game. He probably has a little bit of resentment that he that he missed out and he missed out for so long after that. So I'm, I'm, I think there's enough motivators there that we shouldn't really... You're right, it shouldn't matter about this being a derby occasion because... I think it's a given anyways. And to be honest yeah. with these players, they, they they tend to, more often than not, start really well. We saw that against Swansea. I thought the first 10 minutes, the intensity was brilliant. 
Yeah. We we got in their faces. We knew that the way to sort of get the upper hand early in the game against Swansea was to get all over them, press them, harry them, don't let them have the ball. When we do have the ball, we, we don't take three or four touches. It's one, two touch, out your feet quick, get it wide. I think it's got to be the same in this game. I think, you know, the game plan has to be similar. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know loads about Middlesbrough because I I only know what I'm told, which is, well, the fourth in the table. Since Carrick came in, they've been brilliant, pretty flawless, to be honest. They've they've been outstanding. He's totally took them back a couple of steps in terms of, you know, the overcomplication that probably came with it tactically with Wilder. And he's now just playing, you know, a very pretty similar style to us, from what I'm told. You know, on the front foot, getting it wide. They've got a lot up front who's scoring goals. So, for me, just get at them. Have a go. Give it 15, 20 minutes. You know, let them know we're there. And play like the home team and play like the better side. Because I think you're right. We can beat anybody on our day. I'm certainly not fearing Middlesbrough, regardless of how well they're doing and how how good some of their players are and all the rest of it. It's 90 minutes of football. Anybody can win it. And, you know... We've got the players to do it, haven't we? Yeah, and you're right. If we came, if we come out against Middlesbrough like we did against Swansea, um, and we, I, I think for the first 15, 20 minutes until well, until the sending off, basically that we pinned Swansea in, and Swansea couldn't get out. They couldn't get a grip of the ball. They couldn't put a foot on it, and we pinned them in. We were knocking it wide, and a goal was coming. And this is this is the other point I wanted to make actually that, especially at home what we're quite often guilty of is not taking advantage of those periods in the game where we've where we put a team under a lot of pressure. So when we pin a team in for, for long periods of time and we sometimes we sometimes play some nice stuff and we we knock it around nice and it looks looks quite nice, but we don't create too many chances. And the same happened in the opening period against Swansea where we pinned them in, put them under a load of pressure, but we didn't really create that many chances. And what what would be good is if we come out the block, start, start fast, exactly what we did against Swansea, but really put them under pressure, get the balls into the box, get it into Stewart's feet, get them in behind, you know, all of those things, just get some early shots on goal to, to start kind of building up that momentum and, and kind of putting them under pressure because that, that early period of the game, you know, that could kind of set the tone for, for the rest of it and kind of make them drop 10, 15 yards. And, we kind of we need to do that a bit more at home because, like I said, our, our fo- home form hasn't been hasn't been the best this season. But um, but when we've put teams under pressure, I mean, you, we we were the better team for the first half against West Brom. We were a better team against Burnley, and you know those are two of the better sides in the division. We we're better side. I think we were uh, best side against Norwich, and you know the teams that that are fancied in this division. But we can't sustain it for for ninety minutes, and we need to start doing that and really kind of. Getting that, getting those chances, getting those goals, and putting teams to the sword at home. Their away form's pretty outstanding. I'm just looking at it. I think they've won five of the last six away from home, and the scoring goals as well. And the other, the only other thing that really stands out to us is that they don't keep a great deal of clean sheets. And we do have goals in us. I know we 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 need to brush up on creating chances and stuff. But as long as you've got Ross Stewart and Ahmad on the pitch and Jack Clark. I think you've got a great chance. The other thing is as well, um, which I hadn't thought about, but you think about Patrick Roberts going off early in that Swansea game and he'd started pretty well. He'll have been gutted to come off, probably a bit pissed off that he was the one who made way and this is his old team. 
So I'd be throwing him straight in and saying, look, you you, you know, you, you took one for the team last week. Go out there and show them what they're missing. You know, you were at, you were at Middlesbrough. Go and show them what you're made of. And I, I'm thinking he could be a key player in this game. I know you're natural at a point to probably Clark, Stewart, Ahmad, maybe even Dan Neal. But I think Roberts could really be the difference in this match because he, he, he's due a, a really, really good performance where he just turns it on like he did in that Redden game, for instance. He's due, he's due a big performance and I'm I'm looking at him to maybe be the difference in this game because on his day, he's outstanding. Like I know we've got some really good players, but on his day, he is brilliant and fingers crossed he's the one who, who comes up with the goods because it would be nice for somebody and for Mowbray to, <laughs> to get one over on his old club as well. Yeah. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, looking at Middlesbrough, kind of away from home. Um, I mean, you're right. They've, they've obviously got kind of Wilder's record impact in some of that way. He didn't get off to the best of starts, but um, but looking at looking at their stats, you're talking about them scoring goals. I mean, they they've scored the most goals away from home in the division, um, and away from home again. Um, in terms of conceding, they've got the joint worst away record away from home as well. The other thing is, the other thing that points to how they play at home is that they've only drawn once out of the 14 um, away from home this season. So they've won, won six and lost seven um, away. So they don't draw many games at home. And if you look at that, obviously they score goals, they concede goals. So it looks like, you know, you know, we talk about teams that come to the stadium alight and try and park the bus a little bit and we can't get in behind them. Looking at their stats, if that's something to go off, that they score a lot of goals and concede a lot of goals, it looks like Middlesbrough are on the front foot away from home. And if that's the case, I think that might be better for us because I I think we struggle more against the sides. You know, the, well, I point to the, um, oh, who was it? It was Blackpool and Preston, those two goalless draws. You know, where th- those two both just sat in and just wanted us to break them down and we couldn't and it ended up nil-nil in both games I think we're better against the, the sides like well hopefully fingers crossed touch wood against the likes of Middlesbrough who come out give us the space as well and they concede chances so it, it could be one of them I mean you're looking at two kind of attacking teams because you know they they like I said they're the division's top scorers away from home um, <laughs> if we if we can play anything like um, you know what we you know what we've seen in quite a lot of away performances and some of the recent, you know, home performances where we've scored goals like Millwall. Um, it could it could be quite a high scoring game actually. Um, I might look at some odds after this, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> in a in a high scoring game. Yeah, I was I was just looking at their team. They play with the back four. They play three attacking midfielders behind the striker, which is Matt Crooks. Bizarrely, I think he's a midfielder, but it seems to be working because he's in amongst the goals. Tuba Akpom's their top scorer who plays in the 10 position. I think since Carrick's came in, he, he stopped using Duncan Watmore and um, he started playing Marcus Force, who they signed from Brentford, who plays out, out wide. And that's been working. So, yeah, two attacking teams. I think in the in the game down at the Riverside, it was uh, it was Ryan Giles, the left-back, who was the biggest threat on the pitch. He battered yeah, right. us down that left-hand side. So he's one to watch out for. We haven't really spoke much about us. Um, it's a bit of a tough one to work out because I know we we have quite a lot of injured players, but some eagle-eyed observers noticed in the training photos and the photos of the players down the beach walking around and stuff that there was a handful of the lads who've been out injured. I think um, Adjelise was there. 
um, Dennis Serkin, Pritchard was in amongst it. So, I mean, if them three were back for this game, that would be a huge boost because I think we're just missing that balance. We haven't got that left-hand side balance that we need. But we are really lacking those players down that side. So it would be nice, even if we just played one of Elise or Serkin and maybe got an hour out of them, replaced one with the other, that would be ideal because... That was the thing on Saturday going back to Swansea game. We just we didn't have any balance down the left. We had no left proper left footed defender on that side. So get one of them back in, that would be good. And to be honest, I would like Pritchard back for this game. I know I've said player mad, player Roberts, but Pritchard again could be useful in this game just for setting the tone. I like the way he sets the tone and gets in amongst it and presses really well from the front. He's been out a few weeks, so it might be tough for him, but if we can get a good hour out of Alex Pritchard, that would be good. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what I would do, to be honest. If I, it's, it's a bit difficult at this stage. You know, as we record this, we haven't heard from Tony Mowbray. We don't know who's back. And to be honest, if he's got his head screwed on, I wouldn't be revealing too much to the press. I wouldn't be telling them who's going to be available for this game. So I would like I would like to think we've got a couple of lads back. But yeah, if, if, if Elise is back, I think he's the one who comes in just to give us that balance and a bit of height. That we're probably going to need because they're as as good as they've been playing. They're, they're quite airily proficient, you know. Crooks up top is a is a handful. So get a few lads who can handle him, and we might be all right. Yeah, I'm expecting maybe to see them on the bench. I'd I'd be surprised with their lack of kind of games recently and how long they've been out because they, they've had they've all had decent stints out. It's not like they've only just missed one game or anything like that. They've missed a good mm. a good chunk there and. I'd be surprised if a game with high intensity like the Middlesbrough game is going to be, if he if he throws them into the starting eleven, um, I I fully expect actually the lineup to be other than that change he makes at the back for all nine, whoever's going to come in there, um, he's got obviously that decision. But my guess it'll be the same side as what went out against Swansea because like I said I mean we we started really well and that. That red card completely threw everything out of the window, and we we look good, um, especially with uh, Robert Summers and Clark behind Stewart. I mean, it's a massive call if he brings in Pritchard, who's been out for a while, and you know drops one of them who who looked good until that sending off. Um, the other thing as well, I mean, just talking about that kind of attacking down down the left, and I know it was maybe down to the sending off, but you know. We were looking at last week at um, kind of how Ahmad was trying to kind of play on the counter and he wasn't quite kind of helping the fullback out as much. So hopefully we haven't got that issue because Ahmad was kind of started off in the middle. But it's something we need to be aware of because they do attack well down down the flanks. And the way we play yeah. with, that, with that three, I think if it is Evans and Neil, which I, I guess it probably will be in front of the back four, They've almost got to protect out wide, so they've got to they've almost got to drop in and double up with the fullbacks because I don't think whoever's out wide, whether it's Roberts, Ahmad, Clark, they're not going to double up. I don't think they're going to work back as much as we'd like them to. So I think Evans and Neil have got a big job on kind of getting protecting the the fullbacks as much as doing their job in the middle um, on Sunday. But um, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting how we line up because um, to see if he makes any changes if people are back, but. Uh, I'm not. I'm not expecting many changes. Nah, I, I. I do think though. We if we've got a left-footed defender fit, we have to play them, just because Gucci isn't a left back. <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate a lot of his 
you know, his, his strengths and stuff. And in games like this, he could be useful because you know he, he does he does get it and knows what it means and plays with intensity. And he scored um, earlier in the season, playing a bit further up. I don't know whether that that's an option at some stage, maybe, but. I wouldn't start my left back again. So I mean, if we've got a an Elise or a Sirkin who we can get an hour out of, that's got to be better than that. I think. Just I'm 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 a little bit worried about the way we conceded some of them goals last weekend. So if that if that option's on, if we if we can get a, a preferably Elise on the pitch to play on that left hand side, I would I would go for it. But it just totally depends who's available, doesn't it? I, I mean, we're yeah. guessing at this stage. We don't yeah. know who's going to be available. But I think you're right. There's probably not going to be a great amount of changes and there's no real need to make a great amount of changes because, like you said, the way we played that first 15 minutes, everything was fantastic. And I think it's going to be one of them games where both teams just go at it. I don't think yeah. they're going to... They they don't strike me as the type of team who are going to sit in and with, with 11 men behind the ball. Just, they might surprise us, but given that you know playing on the front foot has worked so well for them since Carrick came in, why would they? Why would they come here and sit in? So I think it's going to be a bit of a ding dong. I think there might be quite a lot of goals in this game, and and you know I can see it being a high scoring draw. Yeah, yeah, I had two two in my mind before, but yeah. but that's the other thing because looking at the stats, uh, Middlesbrough don't uh, draw many games. One one out of was it fourteen this season they've they've drawn. Um, but like I said, I mean, I don't think it's going to be one of those. You know, quite often in these games, you, you just get games where the two teams just cancel each other out. Um, and I could well be eating my words next week where it's a completely dull nil-nil and nothing happens and all this sort of stuff. But I don't think it's going to be one of them. I don't think that they're going to cancel each other out. I think uh, I think you've got two teams who at Middlesbrough fly and As you said, Middlesbrough coming into the game and they, they're at the point now where they're just believing they're going to win every game and that's, going, that's their outlook at the minute with the run they're on. So, yeah, I, <laughs> it sounds like, on paper, it sounds like it could be a good game, but... Um, you know, we'll we'll see. I I hope it's not one of those where they they just end up cancelling each other out. But uh, yeah, I I don't see it at this stage. Can I bother you for a uh, prediction or not? Are you going to go for one? Well, I said two two, <laughs> so I'll I'll go for yeah, that. I think I'm with you there. I I'd just see it being a high scoring draw. So yeah, two two. And to be honest, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a terrible result. <laughs> yeah. It would be all right. You know, I was just about to say I'll take that. I I take a point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's not that's not necessarily saying you know I'm I'm kind of scared about Middlesbrough or anything like that. I just think. In a game like this, it it with two sides who are flying, scoring goals, looking good going forward, it can just be a toss of a coin. And it could come look at look at the Swansea game. I mean, I know it sounds obvious, but it came down to one moment of you know where a player had a rush of blood to the head. It came down to, and then after that, it came down to what side the referee landed on. Was it red or yellow? Completely changed the game. And this could be the same, could just come off someone's backside, a referee's decision, that, you know, us mm. not getting a penalty, which is something we seem to be talking about every other week. Um, so I think it's one of them games where it's that tight, it's two good teams. It could just come down to, to one moment of brilliance or stupidity from an official, and that'll settle it. <laughs> More likely the official, I think. A um, <laughs> couple of things around the game, there's going to be an applause for a minute on the 21st minute of the game for Fletcher Jackson, who's a young lad who died on New Year's Day. I think the club have um, helped out his family with that one to get that going, so that's good. So, yeah, people keep an eye out for that. And the other thing I've noticed is Spirit of 37 had planned a card display for the game, but that's been blocked by the safety advisory group, 
which they've, they've put a little statement out on their Twitter account. So, unfortunately, that's not going ahead, but I'm sure the banners and everything else will be there. So, if you get a flag, make sure you wave it. Why we are on, um, let's look at transfers. Why not? The only Why thing not? I will say, it might date this podcast, so let's you know <laughs> keep that in mind while we're talking. Why not start with departures? So, rumoured departure of Bailey Wright at Aberdeen. I think that was in the um, the Scottish papers over the last couple of days. Would that surprise you? I wouldn't be surprised to say Bailey go, to be honest, but I know he's a he's a big character about the club and um really well liked and he's you know, he's he's always there if he's needed and stuff. But to be honest, with I think we'll probably sign a centre half with lads coming back from, from injury and stuff, he he's probably not gonna play much, is he? No, and I think I think last week kinda of told you told you a lot, didn't it? Um he was he was dropped to the bench and then when we needed to bring a defender on Danny Bart kind of got the nod ahead of him. So I think by that, Bailey Wright's probably looking and saying, well, I know I know my place. But again, you don't know these things behind the scenes. Bailey Wright, you know, he might he might be getting a paid a decent wedge. He might be ha- kind of happy with his place at this stage in mm. his career. He might be saying, well, why don't I just play this season out, wait till the summer, um, kind of assess things. Then January's always a strange time to, to make those sort of moves, you know, and Who's to say we might not get injuries? But I'm sure Mowbray values him and, and tells him as such because the character around the place is the type you need. So I wouldn't be surprised if he moved. But having said that, I, I'm not sure he will. I think he'll wait till the summer. Nah. Nah, I'm with you. Um, It's probably just going to be a balancing of the books if he does leave. If, if we get rid of it, I don't think he'll be short of offers. And I don't. I, I think the fact that he was signed on League One wages probably benefits us and him because finding them a club probably won't be too difficult you know you'll, you'll probably get one north of the border in league one and lots of clubs would love him because he's got so many so much so many upsides to having Bailey right in your squad but for a team who are going for the playoffs in the championship he's probably I mean we've we've talked about this in the last few weeks you know he's probably probably not good enough for what we need right now but I mean you know the other side of what I've just said with the low wages and stuff it might just be deemed, you know, keep him around till the summer and uh, and then move on. There might be better offers for him as well. So, yeah, I, I, either way, you know, I'm I'm happy for him to leave because for his benefit, it's probably good for him for him to crack on with his career. But if he stayed, I'd be happy too, just to keep him around the place and sort of be a good influence on the younger players because you can't have too many of those types, can you? You know, fairly young squad. You know, we, we probably do need a handful of Bailey Wrights, Corey Evans's, Alex Pritchard's just to to keep that grounding in the team. Um, the only other bit of outgoing news, and it's probably not an outgoing for this window, but Sky Sports are reporting that Newcastle United and uh, RB Leipzig are keeping tabs on Edouard Michu, which is a bit, which is a bit of a surprise, but um, can you see that happening? Can you see him going to Newcastle? Is that just a pie in the sky rumour, do you think? I don't know. He hasn't played enough, has he? No. No. Well, I- I think it's it's one of these where I, I, my guess would be that a lot of the big clubs and even a lot of the medium-sized clubs, because I know the likes of Brighton have done it a lot in recent years, you know, where they're, they've, they've probably got a database of kind of young players of ones to watch and see how they're progressing and all that sort of stuff. And they, they probably periodically send scouts out just to see how they're getting on and how they look and all this sort of stuff, because they'll take everything into account, you know, playing in the championship, not playing many games recently. But 
some of these some of these lads, even if they're not getting game, teams will know how much talent they've got. And and, and it's clear. I mean, we've seen flashes of Michu that everyone can see he's got talent. It's just, you know, ha- <laughs> stepping up into the championship Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday is a, a kind of a different matter to, to showing a, a decent touch on the pitch. So, yeah, I'm sure a lot of clubs are monitoring a lot of, especially our young players. And I, I reckon there's a whole host of clubs uh, watching Bennett seeing how he progresses because he's only 18 and almost using us as a, well, you know, go on, you, you train him up and as soon as he looks good, we'll <laughs> uh, we'll stick a bid in. So, yeah, I, I imagine this goes on all the time and they're keeping tabs on all of these types of young players and it just so happens that we've got a lot of them at the minute. Yeah. Uh, incomings then I mean like I say by the time this pod goes live we might have actually <laughs> confirmed some of these players it's usually the case when we record so apologies if this dates slightly but um, Isaac Lehaji from Lille now this isn't a name I'm familiar with at all hadn't heard of the kid till um, till that one came out in the last few days but it was reported in the French media that uh, Lehaji who's a, a Lille player he's formerly of Marseille which is a uh, of course, the team Kirill supports, so there might be some link there. Um, but Lee Hadji, yeah, apparently was on Wearside um, at the Academy of Light last week for a visit. That's been pretty widely reported as fact. And um, we're in advanced talks with him. It wasn't really made clear whether he was a permanent deal or a loan, but the, the, the word from France appears to be that it's going to be permanent because Lille just want rid of him. I think their owner was pretty vocal in... Um, in some of his disdain at the player for reasons why um, he wanted rid of him. He just you know, thought that the lad had some good offers in the summer and he didn't take them and he couldn't understand it. Um, I think his contract's up in the summer, so it's probably a good time for them to just cut ties. And um, His background's interesting because he, he came from a, you know, a strong youth football background. He's only 20. He's a France under-21 international. He's played... At youth level for France, all the way for the all the way through, um, had um, a pretty decent goal contribution record. I think in the games that he he did start last season for Lille, I think someone said he had a goal and four assists in something like eleven games, which is pretty decent. So interesting one for me. I say I don't know much about him, um, but it does appear to be what we're doing, doesn't it? You know, finding these supposed wonder kids in the system who've maybe lost their way offering them a platform to rebuild their career before it gets away from them so and we do have a core of young french speaking players don't we so this one probably makes a lot of sense the other thing i would point out is ahmad's going to be gone soon whether we like it or not <laughs> so it's probably you know a good time to plan for him going right i mean it, it it's going to happen sooner rather than later isn't it chris yeah, well, you know, it, it it fits the criteria, doesn't he? Um, that the the ones that we're looking for, and kind of he, he fits what we're looking for to to bring to the club. And it seems like the it seems like the way Speakman's doing it, and I, I think he's talked about it as well on on a couple of kind of club podcasts as well. He's mentioned that conveyor belt. So you mentioned Ahmad, obviously, and and you'd expect to lose some of these players, and whether it's whether it's a bid we just can't refuse in players that actually at the club, even Bennett. I mean, yes, if he shows potential in the second half of the season, at the age he's at, a, a big club might say, well, we want to snap him up before he does well in the Premier League or the, the price doubles in 18 months' time or whatever. So someone might take a chance on players like that. Ahmad, 
he is going to go back to Manchester United and he's highly unlikely to come back because they're going to want to, even if they put him up for sale, they're going to want to get back as much of that, what was it, 35 million or whatever they paid for him um, before. So we're not realistically going to sign him on a permanent, but because we know he's going to be leaving in the summer, I imagine, well, the way the way speaking's working, you know for a fact pretty much that he's already planning to, to for hit to get his replacement. And if we bring in this guy now, he's got six months to sit on the bench, play ten minutes here and there, play a half, get used to the squad, get used to the team, learn a bit of the language if he needs to, get down to Seaburn Beach, have an ice cream, have some fish and chips, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. And by next season, if we've got him flying by next season you know, in theory, he could he could just kind of slot in, um. But it, it's just it's just so refreshing to see to see planning. I mean, how how long has it been since we've we can actually see in the players that we're linked with, the players that we bring in, that the club are looking at what what's going to happen in the summer, and they're already looking now for next season. I mean, I don't think we've ever had this at the club, to be honest. I think it's always been a reactionary who's available. Let's get anyone in. <laughs> just kind of a scram, mad scramble to get players in, and it's just refreshing to to see a plan and see and try and implement something and and stick to it. But yeah, I mean this lad, he sounds like a, he sounds like a, what opposite to not opposite to to Bennett, but left footed right winger um, is the description. So Bennett, but on the opposite side of the pitch, um, which which sounds yeah. about right. So um, so yeah, I mean another one if he comes in, another one that's exciting could go either way. <laughs> you never you never know with young players, but um, on the face of it, fits the criteria and, and sounds exciting. Yeah, I actually uh, had a little chat with the Twitter account. I don't know who's behind it, but it's the account who um, dropped the news initially. And there's a piece on the website if people want to check that out um, with a bit more detail in it. But uh, it was interesting in that conversation. They said that Luis Campos, who's the current football advisor at PSG, um, former sporting director at Lille, had said previously that Lee Hadji's the best French player of his age. So it, it's got a bit of a feel of um, Patrick Roberts to this one to me. I know he's a little bit younger than Roberts, but just a player who's totally been cast aside after being really highly rated um, when they were a little bit younger. And, you know... I actually think that we've got the perfect conditions for these players to to actually really thrive. We've got so many examples of it now littered around the squad. Like all you got to do is point to the likes of Ahmad, Patrick Roberts, Jack Clark, you know, the, the Dennis Serkin, Agielise. We give kids chances and they get proper chances to play lots of football and you know, are playing in, in front of big crowds big expectation in a competitive league so there's no reason why this kid couldn't be a massive success for Sunderland if if it does come off and you know things change all the time it might turn out that it's a it's a load of rubbish or somebody else comes in for him and blindsides us um but I, I would be pretty happy with that acquisition I think you know we, we do need a plan for life without I'm adding you bang on it gives him like four or five months to get ready and that's what we need. Uh, the other bit of transfer news, again, this one could be confirmed pretty quickly. Pierre Equa, I think it's pronounced, from West Ham. Another French player. He's um, another French uh, youth international who was previously of Chelsea, now of West Ham. Um, interesting reading stuff from what their fans have said on social media. A lot of their fans really want to see him play in the first team, but are pretty defeated by the fact that 
David Moyes is their manager and he's never <laughs> going to give them a chance. And um, we know that feeling. Um, so he's been tearing it up for their 21 side in the PL2 this season. He's got four goals from midfield, has been described as a, a box-to-box midfielder. Um, I think he actually described himself as a box-to-box midfielder, but the West Ham website describe him as a powerful defensive midfielder. Quite a big lad, big, athletic, strong, gets around the pitch well. I think it's fair to say we're missing a player like that, you know, especially since letting Jay Matete go. So it can't harm to bring him in and see what he's all about, right? I think it's win-win if we make that signing because we're not desperate for a for a regular starter in midfield. I think Dan Neal has done a, a really good job in the last month or so of probably showing that he can he can replace Corey Evans long-term, but that's got to be the thing at the back of our minds. Again, we're talking about long-term succession planning. Corey Evans probably next season. We need to think about life without him, don't we? I was just about to say that about Corey Evans. It, it seems like the natural fit, doesn't it, to, to replace Corey Evans and if he can kind of learn learn from him for, for however long he, he stays at the club. But this one reminds us a lot of the Elise one because West Ham fans had a similar reaction to, to Elise at the time as well. They they didn't want to see him go. They wanted him to have more chances in the in the first team, and obviously with David Moyes there, that that's kind of never going to happen. Um, but uh, but yeah, another another exciting one. But the, the interesting thing for me is, it, it it's a bit different to other windows that we've had or other kind of setups that we've had. That I'm finding this window, which is which is a strange one, the way Sunderland work now that they keep it in house and they don't have that many leaks that we're not being linked with every man and his dog. Like it it seems like every link now has some merit behind it because Yeah, yeah. yeah. That 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 it only now comes out and into the kind of public domain when like we're actually doing something about it or we're making a move for these players or getting them yeah. to come to the club or whatever. And it's interesting because I mean everybody knows we need a striker and we need one this window. But as far as I know, and I'm not, I don't troll around social media or anything like that, or reading newspapers. But I haven't seen us being linked with a strike. <laughs> no, and and um, uh, that's making me think that there might be something in what Christian Speakman said about Ellis Sims. Yeah, he said he was open to the idea of him returning. Have we uh, have Everton taken him back on the understanding they're going to send him back? Maybe you know, it's 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 not. And and maybe that's why we're not hearing anything because we've already agreed to bring him back. I think I think what's fair is that we probably do need. I mean, let's say we did sign Sims, we probably do need a third option, but probably somebody more to replace. Probably replace Diaco. I think is that just sort of player you can put up front if you need a, a, another option. I'm not. I'm. I think the difficulty we've got is that we can't go out and sign a third-choice striker because they know the third choice. That's the problem we had in the summer. It's a problem we're going to have now. Who's going to come under them conditions? You're going to get somebody who's not good enough for the league, somebody who's probably a free agent or um, somebody who's probably older than the bracket of player we're looking at, and it's not going to happen. So I think your options are pretty much a kid who is prepared to sit on the bench, a bit like a Bennett, or a, or a bar, somebody who's just learning, coming in from abroad, who probably coming in on the understanding you, you need to acclimatise before you're thrown into this situation. Um, or we do go down that route of signing an older player and I can't see us doing it. No. 
but you could be right. It could just be that we're keeping our cards close to our chest. The leaks that we're getting on sort of transfers now are coming from the French media or West Ham. Or I think West Ham, are a club who there's quite a lot of information gets leaked out of that club. They they have some. There's actually a guy on Twitter called XWHU employee who has a Patreon account, which I think he leaks and and he's he's well he's it's well known that he gets all the information. So leaks out of West Ham are pretty common. But you're right, there's nothing really much coming out of Sunderland and it's with good reason. They're keeping everything pretty close to their chest. So it's probably likely we'll we'll sign a bunch of players that we don't really know much about until it ha- just about happens, you know, which yeah. I'd rather that, to be honest, I'd rather that. So let's just hope that's a theme of the window. It's been a theme of the last few, hasn't it, where we've just we we've just got on with, with the job and not really made a fuss of it and yeah, pretty yeah. chilled. I mean it might be different if we get battered on Sunday like and um <laughs> You know, somebody really good gets an injury, touch when it doesn't happen, but things might change then. But at the minute, I'm pretty relaxed. And I think I think you're seeing that. Do you think the penny's dropping with fans now that this is just the way we work? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like you. I don't really look at social media too much, so maybe, um, maybe I'm missing it. <laughs> but I'm not sensing as much desperation for signings as we've had in previous years from just people I know and people... I speak about work or, you know, I'm not sensing that desperation. People seem pretty relaxed, don't they? Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to think there's a bit of confidence in the in how the club do things now and it comes out of that because what's this? I think I think this is the fourth fourth window that uh, Speakman's had and you can see obvious patterns and and how they work. And quite often, I mean, they do leave it. I think it was the summer window where they brought in... Um, Kind of, I think it was Sirkin and a few others, kind of quite late in the window. So I don't think he minds leaving it late. Um, you know, I don't think he likes putting all his eggs in one basket and kind of, you know, seeing what happens. Because, and I mean, we've seen quite often, especially in January, one transfer can trigger another ten from other clubs. You know, for some somebody makes a move, and and the likes of Everton, because Everton are in in the crap. If they go out and spend some some money on a striker, then suddenly Ellis Sims becomes free and available again, and I'm sure we'll we'll bring him back. I mean that that could happen, you know, any day any day Everton could go out and say right because they're desperate for a striker, um to to score some goals. So yeah, I mean there is a bit of confidence, although you know when I have looked around and seen messages on the message board and things like that, I know there have been some kind of where you know kind of where's this striker comment because we need one. Um and you know last weekend, you know Diaku was the kind of he was the replacement for Stewart when Stewart went off. I think people recognise we need we need another option up top. Yeah, you know, another injury to Stewart and wh- where are we after that? So, yeah, I mean I think there is a bit of clamour for that. But on the side of rumours and things like that, I think people are fairly relaxed. Actually, I think people prefer it this way. I definitely prefer it. <laughs> Just. <laughs> so happy that we're in a position where we can be relaxed a little bit I know we definitely need another striker there's no doubt about it but the confidence I've got is we're not going to go without I can't see us in I can't see a situation like the one we saw on Netflix where we were like throwing money at Wigan for Will Grigg that's not going to happen with these guys I'm I'm just confident of that I'll be made to eat me words I'm sure people will be playing this recording back when we don't sign anybody but there we go Um, well I think that's probably about it Chris Uh, let's hope Sunderland managed to beat Middlesbrough at the weekend but all we want to see is a good performance and don't get beat that's that's it for me I think a 2-2 draw we both went for that that would be pretty 
Sweet, but yeah, preferably a win. Always want to win. Uh, cheers, Smith. Thanks for joining us, as always. No worries. I'll be off to check the odds on 2-2 in a <laughs> Yeah, everybody else uh, probably won't be because our no, tips no. are terrible. Um, <laughs> um, and cheers to the listeners. Thanks for hanging in with us this this long. We will be back to a more regular schedule, hopefully next week, I'm sure, with the review shows, the previews and stuff. So, yeah, I know we've been a bit flaky around um, the last few weeks with Christmas and what have you, but we'll get back to our best, I'm sure. Thank you, everybody, who donated to the Sun and Community Soup Kitchen fundraiser in December. I haven't mentioned this on a pod, but... Our final total, um, we were finally able to announce that last week. We we hit 52,000 with a very generous donation of £4,000 from the Turner family, um, who are obviously behind Full of 73. So massive thanks to them. Massive thanks to everybody who backed us. Um, we are already in the planning stage for next year, which um, I won't reveal any details on, but fingers crossed we'll have a couple of big things for next year. Um, so yeah thanks everyone for for joining us thanks for backing us on that thanks for everything else you've been doing including reading the articles on Rote Report's website keep doing that throughout the week as we build up the Middlesbrough and we'll catch you later A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.